Hello and welcome to Views from the Market, Mid-Market Private Equity and M&A Canada. My name is Mario Negro and I'm a partner in the Private Equity and M&A Group at Stike Minnelli. For today's podcast, I'd like to welcome our special guests, Leon Chen and Rob Shelton. Leon is the managing partner at Kane Partners and Rob is a managing director at Kane Partners. Leon, Rob, thank you for joining us and welcome. Yeah, thank you for having us. Leon, Rob, we always start by asking our panelists, our guests to tell us a little bit about themselves, a bit about their history, a bit about Kane Partners. So I'm going to start by first learning a little bit about yourselves and then turn it over to Kane. Maybe we'll start with Leon, a little bit about you. Sure. Yeah. Happy to. And again, thanks for having me. I'll admit I'm usually more on the listening side of a podcast than the speaking side. So, you know, we'll see how this goes, but quick overview myself, been with Kane for coming up 11 years, you know, started my career in a combination of tech investing, private equity, investment banking. I worked in-house for a couple of years in corporate development, but today I'm a managing partner, really responsible for everything from deal sourcing to execution to portfolio management, as well as our broader fund strategy. So very excited to be here today. Rob Shulton here. I actually joined about a week apart from when Leon did, so pushing up about 11 <laughs> years, maybe a little bit of a shorter background. I came folks recruited me right out of undergrad. So I actually interned with the group before joining full-time and follow a similar path to what Leon really focused on, really focusing on identifying new and exciting opportunities working on doing those deals and really thinking about how do we scale those businesses going forward and working pretty hand in hand from a partnership standpoint to help them grow. Uh, Rob, Leon, there's different facets to Cade. It's it's interesting because it's not just one fund. It's got a multiple focuses. So maybe we'll start by asking you a little bit about the fund that you focus on, both of you, but then we'd like to hear a little more for our audience. Cade has really grown and really involved in the market in so many different ways. We'll first start about your specific fund. And then ask you a little bit about some of the other things that Kane does. Yeah, happy to do that. You know, we are part of a multi-strategy platform here around $35 billion under management. Our growth equity group has been around for the last two decades here. And really what we focused on is growing technology or tech-enabled services businesses. A number of different verticals, you know, really heavy concentration in supply chain logistics, fintech, cybersecurity infrastructure, media telecom, healthcare, and BPA and a number of other sub-verticals underneath that. So really focused on good, solid management teams, strong growing businesses that are really looking for growth capital to, to help them expand. You know, they have product market fit. Now they're really looking at how do I take 20, 30, $40 million, hire more engineers, hire more sales and marketing, doing opportunistic M&A to really grow their businesses and take advantage of the market as they see it. Typical profile for us is anywhere from around 10 to 50 million is kind of our sweet spot in terms of revenue and looking from an equity side around 10 to $75 million checks and on the debt side around 10 to 30 million. So we're unique in the sense that we offer both equity and debt and hybrid solutions for our companies and really trying to solve a number of different needs on the businesses and what we look for. And so that's really, you know, key things that we look for is really around three areas. One is companies at an inflection point. You know, what we've found over the years is that challenges that companies face when they're trying to go from 10 to 20, 20 to 50, 50 million to 100, you know, regardless of industry, are, are very similar in what they're trying to deal with. How do I think about building out my sales and marketing function? How do I think about channel partners? How do I think about product development and where to really spend those dollars? 
And those are a lot of the questions that our companies are asking. And that's really where we like to focus and try to take our expertise that we've built up over the last few decades to really help those companies grow. I'd say the other thing that we really think about is areas that are underserved from a technology perspective, or I think now differently is really technology that's very inefficient, right? If you look at a lot of verticals, there's a lot of software solutions out there, right? In healthcare and supply chain, a lot of point solutions, a lot of people trying to solve these niches. But really what we look for is not only companies that are doing that, but how do we just make things more efficient, right? How do we connect all the pieces in a various ecosystem or in the various ecosystems and really think about how do we scale and make those markets much more efficient. And I think the last thing we really focus on is we're fairly hands-on in our approach and how we think about working with these companies. And so a big part of our thesis is how do we help? It's not just, hey, we're gonna write a $30 million check here. It's really how do we leverage our internal expertise, the network we have at Kane. So we have an operating partner group that we have here at Kane Anderson that is both industry and functional related that we can bring to bear for our portfolio companies. And then a number of other strategic relationships with vendors like AWS, where we get discounted pricing for all of our portfolio companies. So it's really the check and growing that, but then how do we take everything else that's part of this $35 billion organization and bring that to bear to a company that might only be doing 10 million of ARR. So that's kind of the high level of how we think about it and where we like to focus. Yeah, and if you think about that in the context of the broader Kane Anderson, because we are multi-strat, certainly the question is, you know, what's a connective tissue that brings all these different strategies across real estate, energy, credit, and then our team on growth equity, what brings that together? I think there's some consistent key themes. You know, we really boil it down to a sourcing advantage, a knowledge advantage, and a resource advantage. And so what Rob touched on on the, on the resource advantage front, you know, being a part of a multi-strat platform has really allowed us to really the luxury of having access to resources we otherwise wouldn't have if we were a standalone fund or standalone strategy. And so being part of a large organization means we get access to our CTO, for example, sits down a couple of offices down from us and he helps us when we evaluate and potentially invest in cybersecurity companies because a lot of the time they spend is in that universe. More software applications that may apply for the broader fintech space. We have a dedicated ESG officer, so he helps us think about from a, you know, identifying opportunities to how we monitor our portfolio companies and what kind of ESG practices they are incorporating. We have luxury of having someone that's dedicated to that full time. Also, the resources allows us to get access to really interesting talent. So our portfolio companies are oftentimes looking to, you know, hire key executives, bring on experienced and diverse board members to the table. And through the reach that Kane has, because we're in multiple cities throughout the U.S., we really are able to benefit from that. And then even across the other strategies we have, our real estate team has informed us in terms of some of our thesis, seeing certain types of industry tailwinds, for example, or convergences of different technologies within the real estate space. And same thing goes for energy and what's happening in IoT and devices. And even our middle market credit team helps us think about and evaluate opportunities when we're looking at it from the debt side. So, you know, we really try to be the symbiotic and kind of collaborative ecosystem within Kane. And it's really come to our benefit when we think about new opportunities. Lee and Rob, I know you're both in LA, beautiful LA. I love, I love LA. Uh, welcome to join. You're far from where I am here in, you know, Toronto, in Canada, but you've actually really seen a lot and invested in Canada in the past, actively look in our marketplace. And I mean, you clearly like what you see, or you clearly find our space interesting. I want to get your perspective on you know, your history, Canada, what you like about Canada, what you see here, what do you focus on when you look at Canadian business? 
Yeah, happy to take that one. I mentioned earlier the sourcing advantage that we have and the knowledge advantage. And maybe even taking you back, because Rob and I both started the very early innings of the strategy. And back in 2011, 2012 time period, growth equity was not a particularly well-defined asset class like it is today. And even the solution that we're bringing to the table was not well known in the market per se. I think venture capital on the earlier stage side of fundraising was more familiar. And then certainly the other end of the spectrum being large buyouts, leveraged buyouts or control-like transactions done from your kind of typical PE sponsor. But growth equity kind of sat in the middle of that. And I think what we discovered was One, there was a lack of familiarity with our product, but two, particularly in underserved markets throughout North America, there was a really interesting opportunity to get in front of really strong entrepreneurs. So we really built this strategy in the early days around really delivering capital to underserved markets that were not essentially the Bay Area, San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and even to a lesser extent, New York, Boston, and even Los Angeles. So where we focused our efforts were areas such as Atlanta, Georgia, Austin, Texas now is a massive technology community, but even 10 years ago, it was still pretty nascent areas like Illinois and Columbus, Ohio, and then up in Canada, you know, the Vancouver's and Toronto's of the world, we saw as really strong technology communities. And, you know, for an earlier strategy back in the day, what we decided to do was really plant flags in all these different geos and get to know the technology communities. So that includes everyone from the entrepreneurs themselves to the earlier stage, you know, angel VC or series A and B investors, the service providers, such as the advisors, the council like yourself, the accountants, anyone who's really familiar and helping to support and build those technology communities we found is incredibly helpful to start getting to know and putting the K name out there. And so over time, what we started to learn and appreciate was that the Canadian markets in particular and the companies that were coming out of those ecosystems were very aligned with the strategy and the types of companies that we were looking for. What we found was entrepreneurs who, one, were incredibly capital efficient and almost scrappy in a way. And I think as we had conversations, what we learned and what we appreciated was that Canada had come off the tech bubble in 01 and then the Great Recession in 08 and really was kind of left in a situation where capital availability was much more limited than companies down in the U.S., And on top of that, at the same time, I guess there were also really strong technology experts and entrepreneurs and folks that had started to seed new opportunities and start backing new founders. Um, And so it was really exciting for us because we saw this new wave of entrepreneurs and solutions that were coming to market. And what we liked about them as well is that because of the lack of capital availability, a lot of the companies ended up growing their businesses to 10, 15, 20 million dollars without having taken on a lot of dilutive capital. The Canadian government, as an example, has been highly supportive of growing companies in these tech hubs. And so we saw things like the shred credits and other tax grants. And on top of that, low, uh, non-dilutive loans. And what we'd found are entrepreneurs who had, you know, still 80, 90% of their businesses by the time they're looking to raise capital from Kane, which you don't really see in Silicon Valley or in other kind of more major technology areas in the U.S. And so... That was exciting to us because we liked that alignment. We liked that management had skin in the game. It was always a thesis for us. And so coming in, we were able to provide capital that oftentimes was the last capital before they'd either exit or have some sort of major liquidity event. So we really got to appreciate that, which was exciting for us. But then again, the capital efficiency element, even after they took our capital, they were very mindful of 
what a dollar into their business meant in terms of return on that dollar, right? So we like that element. That was philosophically the type of business that we wanted to back. It's not just, you know, when you run into a problem, throw money at it, because a lot of these entrepreneurs had been through multiple down cycles before. They were very adaptive. They're very creative. Sometimes the best work can come when you have limited resources. And so those the entrepreneurs were the ones that we saw ourselves being able to partner with. And the Canadian market just happened to be very rich for those types of opportunities. Yeah. And just building off of that too, I think the investments we've had in some of the successful outcomes has really been able or allowed us to continue to build that market. We continue to go up there and each of our last funds has continued to actually have more investments in Canada. I think overall, about a quarter of our total investments have made under the last 10 years have been in the Canadian market. And in the last fund, about a third of those investments actually were. And so we're really excited about the opportunities we've seen, kind of the networks we've built, and a lot of the new business that we're going to see over the coming years as the market continues to develop. I want to pick up where you left off there, Rob, in terms of where the market's at. Obviously, in the last year or two, the tech space has gone through so much change. It's incredible on so many different levels. And you being active in so many different places in the capital structure and in terms of investing in the tech sector, your perspective on kind of where we're at, what you're seeing, you know, you're out there looking for deals, what's changed? I mean, I know talk about 2020 and obviously the pandemic and then 21 and the, what I guess people call the crazy tw year 2021. And now it's all these market forces, these global economic and market forces that seem to be having an impact. Want to get your perspective on what you're seeing, where you're at and what you're working on in this kind of market. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. I think, you know, volatility would be maybe an understatement over the last couple of years with some of the ups and downs in the market that people are trying to figure out what end is up. I think really what we're seeing, and I think what we're communicating to a lot of our portfolio companies is there's definitely been a shift in terms of priority. I think for 2020, 2021, first part of 2022, it was grow at all costs, right? Revenue was king and really all that matters how quickly you're growing and if you could grow in a big market. You know, I think over the last year, we've definitely seen that shift. There's a lot more of an emphasis on profitability. And I say that with a caveat of that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be profitable, right? A lot of growing companies are still burning, but it's really thinking about efficiency, right? Looking at some of the metrics like LTV to CAC, like your burn rate, understanding what your path toward profitability is and seeing can you get there without raising additional capital. You know, a lot of those things are really a big focus of ours is making sure people are protected and people can think through how do I get to that next round of funding and what that really means. You know, I'd say at the same time, it's a really unique opportunity for a lot of companies, especially in the tech ecosystem, to position themselves well to continue to grow, to potentially grow in an accelerated fashion, and really think about not just what happens in 2023, but at some point when the market does start to change and things do start to open up a little bit, what's gonna happen in 2024? And so a lot of the things that we're working on both with our existing companies and our prospective companies, you know, ones we're speaking to is a number of different things. Looking at talent, right? As everyone knows, there's been a number of layoffs at a lot of large tech companies, a lot of really good talent out there. So taking this opportunity to really pick and choose, hey, where can I up-level people? Where can I maybe go from a VP of finance to a CFO? Where can I add a CTO in my organization or think about my sales structure and taking people that maybe had really good resumes, but are looking for a new opportunity right now and looking to change. There's a lot of opportunity right now with M&A. You know, we're seeing a lot of our portfolio companies look very strategically at those opportunities. I think there's 
a number of companies out there that are maybe subscale that maybe aren't growing as quickly. Valuations are a little bit lower, or they just don't want to do this on their own, right? They want to be part of maybe a larger organization to really help them grow. And then I think the third thing is just thinking strategically and how do you expand, right? How do you think about positioning yourself, not just to how do I manage 2023, but again, it's really how do I step my business up in order to scale going forward, whether that's thinking through your customer retention practices or thinking through product development, product roadmap, where do you want your business to be? I think those are all really key things for us to think through right now in our businesses and where we're seeing a lot of interesting opportunities, despite I think what maybe uh, a lot of fears about a recession and pullback could be. I think there's a lot of great opportunity for people to grow. Yeah. And I think that the Canadian markets in particular, as I kind of mentioned, you know, we see as particularly well suited to be able to weather some of this cyclicality and volatility, just given the fact that, again, many of our entrepreneurs have lived through cycles before, and I think have been a lot more adept to adjust their business models to realities where capital markets, you know, end customer of volatility, broader macro trends, the things that are impacting their businesses directly, I think they're highly cognizant of, and just a lot more willing and able to shift their businesses accordingly. And I think just really how a lot of what we've seen in Canada, the entrepreneurs themselves are, have been really customer centric, right? That's kind of how they had to build their businesses over time. And so being really focusing less on just the broader capital markets and compared to the Silicon Valley CEOs who sometimes are spending their full-time jobs, just capital raising. We've seen a lot of entrepreneurs in Canada really entrenched, buckle down, focus on, are we delivering the best solution in our markets? to the right customers? Are we creating real ROI and value for them? And how we can we ensure we're retaining and growing our customer bases and continue to grow within their market? And like that mindset, I think at the end of the day will really prevail because revenue and capital efficiency is incredibly valuable in environments like this. Can I ask you, uh, the, you know, the million dollar question or value expectations between you as an investor and companies, are they starting to diminish? And, and we always hear about value expectations in the tech space. And you notice that there's been a shrinkage of it, or is it still people who believe they have a good company are just going to want what they want? You know, I think that's always existed, whether it's this year, last year, the year before, there always exists some gaps in terms of expectations. I think for us, where we found success is really being creative and finding ways to bridge gaps. Rob mentioned we invest across a spectrum of different financials options, whether all the way from equity down to credit. And oftentimes we're willing to give up certain upsides to get better downside protection or more clear return of capital. And so in many ways, I think that flexibility has allowed us to pair our capital with the entrepreneur's needs. But on a broad basis, I would say 21 and 22, there was probably a bigger gap. And I think that it has closed a little bit more over the last couple of months, but at the end of the day, there are companies that are going to command premium valuations. There's going to be others that command discounted valuations. And it's really more about what's the right valuation for your specific business, as opposed to an average across all software multiples, for example. I ask all our guests the uh, crystal ball question, you know, from where you're sitting, you know, particularly in the tech space and the year ahead and all that's going on. And I wanted to get your perspective on where you see this market going, what you're seeing both for your work at Kane for 23 and on, and just talk a bit about what your perspective is for the year ahead in the market in front of us. Yeah, I think we've, we've talked a little bit about it. I think it's an interesting market. I think there is 
as Leon's saying, there's definitely a closing of the gap between valuation expectations. There's still a significant amount of private equity capital in the market that is looking to be deployed. And I think the reality is, as we think about the market, a lot of companies, while they might have reduced burn, you know, they have not gotten rid of it. So there is still going to be some need where companies that are looking to grow and want to take advantage are going to look to raise capital. So I think we've started to see more deals come across our board. We're still actively looking to deploy capital, both in terms of our equity and our debt. It's hard to really know what the public markets will do, right? It's impossible to predict that. But I think on the private side of things, you know, as, as, the year progresses, I think we're going to start seeing more things opening up. I think people are going to start looking at to 2024 and where they want to be and looking to raise capital. And I think we're just trying to support our existing companies, making sure they feel like they have the right amount of capital to go and pursue what they want. And then also to Leon's point, being very creative with how we approach investing in new opportunities to get deals done on that side. Yeah, we're not economists over here. So I think it'd be very difficult to balance all the different moving parts of the economy right now, whether it's interest rates, inflation, right, global unrest, supply chains, shortages, things of that nature. But I think we recognize probably with some level of certainty that we're going to continue to see volatility throughout the rest of this year and probably into next. So I think our focus continue to be, you know, companies that are creating value. If you are creating value for your end customer, if you're a must have solution, if you're mission critical and entrepreneurs are keeping their eyes on the prize, they're inherently going to become more valuable as an organization. And as a result, the capital or the strategic interest will be there. At the end of the day, and maybe this is us kind of drinking our own Kool-Aid a little bit, but we're betting on tech, right? And I don't think we would ever want to bet against tech or innovation. I think what we're seeing is this really exciting new wave of technology that's coming from disruption, right? I mean, you know, 2008, the mortgage crisis, the financial crisis, like these spurred really interesting opportunities in fintech and prop tech and the supply chain disruption we saw the past couple of years has spurred all these really interesting opportunities for investment in the supply chain or logistics side of things and i think like anything with disruption and unrest you know new innovation new technologies new software solutions will come to bear and i think for us being able to identify those early and build thesis around that and then finding opportunities to invest you know is what kind of gets us out of bed every day leon Rob, I want to thank you both for joining us. I really appreciate you making the time and frankly for us to hear your perspective and to hear your confidence and success story and your interest in Canada, super exciting. So thank you for sharing with us a little bit about yourselves and about Kane's work. And look, we want to see you do deals in Canada. Keep coming. I know it's cold, but we love having you. So thank you for joining us today and tell us a little bit about your story and Kane's story. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thanks, Mario.